Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and the things that make it go up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deeper dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand it better. And finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and click the link where you can upload your question. Then I'll be in contact with you, get a little bit more information, and then hopefully you'll hear an educational answer to your question on the show. So let's get started with an abbreviated trading week that actually ended Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. For the five days ahead of that, the market was actually very flat. Now, it's important to know if you listen to the show regularly that we did the five days of trading last Friday. So when we look at a five-day trading range and we actually stopped um, taping on Thursday, that means that Friday is going to double hit. So a little bit of the data you're hearing this week overlaps with the data that I gave you last week. But for the very beginning of the third quarter of 2020, the Dow was up about a third of a percent. The S&P 500 was up about one and a half percent. Most of that was before the end of the second quarter. The NASDAQ was up 1.9. Gold was up just a smidge at 0.14%. West Texas Intermediate Crude is up over 5.5%. The 10-year Treasury yield dropped by about 2.5%. And if you owned a bond fund, it went up about a quarter of a percent. And so if you're curious why Treasury yields and bond funds work inverse of each other, you need to listen to last week's show or last week's podcast where we talked about it in more detail. So what's unusual is generally at the beginning of a quarter, you'll start seeing a bit of a market drop. And that's any quarter in any situation. And it's because typically portfolio managers have to report their data quarterly or annually. And so the numbers come in at the end of the quarter. And then if the market wanted to do any correcting, it does it after the portfolio managers have made their numbers. It tends to be when people aren't looking quite as closely, and it tends to lead to a bit of a market decline. Now, we had um, Friday, July 3rd was off because Saturday was the 4th, so it'll be very curious to see tomorrow, which will be July 6th, what the market does this next week. I was reading some analysis over the weekend, trying to figure out what's going to happen for the second half of the year, and honestly, the general consensus was people aren't sure. 
There's a lot of factors that are going to weigh in. One thing that I learned is that most companies in the S&P 500 have told people to disregard earnings guidance. So at the beginning of every calendar quarter, one thing you get is earnings information. And at this point, practically all the big companies have put out notifications saying anything we told you about what we thought earnings were going to be, just disregard it because it's probably not accurate. Which means that earnings season will be a little bit more of a surprise this time than average. That might impact the markets from a news perspective. From a fundamentals perspective, I think many people know that we're really in some tough economic times right now. And it's very hard for businesses to do business. It's very hard for them to have the stream of revenue that they were having, unless it's some kind of distance communication software or distance tool for all of the homework we're all doing. So I'm not really sure that the earnings are going to make a significant difference to the market. Um, the articles are saying really the news is going to drive the day. And a lot of the news will have to do with whether or not there is good news about the virus or bad news about the virus. One analyst said the market's really pricing in great news by way of a vaccine on the virus by Labor Day. And if it doesn't get it, then the market's going to be very disappointed. Well, I'm not sure. I haven't heard as much expectation by Labor Day as just simply this fall. I think that if any of the clinical trials come back and they're very negative, especially a couple of the bigger ones, I think that will have a stock market reaction. Because to a certain extent, the markets are thinking that as soon as there's a vaccine, life will return much closer to normal than it is right now, and that we can basically get on with the economy. If there is news that suggests that that's going to be delayed more than the market is anticipating, you would expect that to have a negative market reaction at least until the market could get its feet under itself again and figure out where it goes from there. That's part of why we had such a bad market decline this spring. The market wasn't expecting the news it got, and so it really reacted strongly. If the market doesn't get the vaccine news it's expecting, there could be market reaction to it. Now, the flip side is if the vaccine news is good, it could do exactly opposite of that. Even though I do think it's pricing in good news, personally, I'd be surprised if there wasn't a pop, if there was some really great vaccine news that came out. Are, is the stock market going up or down from here on out? And the general consensus is people just don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Certainly politics will play a role into this. And as things become clearer, we'll have the ability to figure things out. It's very hard to get ahead of this market. That's why it's so important that you talk to your certified financial planner practitioner or your financial team and look at your risk tolerance level Look at your financial goals. Look at your portfolio for whether or not it's invested in a way to help you match that. And take more of a traditional textbook approach 
rather than trying to beat this market because it's a very hard market to beat because even the experts don't know what's going to happen next. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about a new rule that the Department of Labor is proposing to replace the fiduciary rule that was vacated a couple of years ago. So now Department of Labor has proposed a rule that is very much in keeping with the new best interest rule that was put out by the SEC. So Department of Labor and SEC basically collaborated together on this. If you remember the best interest rule came out last year and what was so very confusing about it is it appropriated the language of fiduciary, which is someone acting in your best interest, while absolutely negating a fiduciary standard. So it makes it more confusing for just someone who's working with a financial professional to try to figure out whether or not that advisor is actually holding a true fiduciary standard. And the Department of Labor's proposal does not make things any clearer. So it's a fairly long piece of legislation. I've included a link. You can read it for yourself, get an idea as to what they're wanting to put in place. But there's a couple of highlights that I want you to understand. One of them is reinstating something called the five-part rule as to whether or not you're acting as an advisor to a client. And basically what this lets a financial professional do is provide advice one time without actually keeping an ongoing relationship and getting around needing to follow this best interest guideline. So in other words, if you have a 401k and you retire and you roll it into an IRA, if the person who takes that account and rolls it over for you does not provide ongoing financial advice, they're able to not be in compliance with the Department of Labor rule because according to the new Department of Labor rules, they're not an advisor. So it's a really nice dodge if someone isn't wanting to act as a fiduciary, but still wants your 401k plan. Remember that 401k plans are really large amounts of money. You know, typically when someone retires, if they have a 401k and if their employer has put money in, if they've put money in for years, maybe decades, it's a sizable sum of money. So as a result, a 401k rollover is really desired by a lot of financial advisors because whether you charge fees or commissions, it's more money that you will get paid on. So by allowing this financial professional to take the money but not provide ongoing service and get around the best interest clause is really problematic when you put it in conjunction with the second piece of it, which was how you got paid. So 
if you were going to um, if you were going to get paid I'm looking for the exact language here it allows third-party payments so I'm a financial advisor and I am going to take your new newly formed IRA that had been your 401k plan and I'm going to invest it for you I am now allowed to receive third-party payments and that sounds good right you know you're you're the consumer you don't think anything of it the third-party payment allows me to receive commissions 12b1 fees sales loads markups and markdowns on the price of the investments so when you reintroduce commission into the payment from the 401k big problem with that is the commission is so invisible that it's very hard for the consumer to necessarily know how much they paid a second problem with commission is it can be a sizable chunk of money especially if it's on a large sum of money in the first place now I've always said everyone gets paid fee only people get paid commission people get paid however I believe that you as the consumer has the right to know how much money your financial professional got from the transaction and sometimes that's hard to do in a commission model so again it goes back on you as the consumer to ask very specific questions how much money are you being paid either by me or the person who's providing this product for you to put me into this product you know that way you'll know the direct fees you're paying you should also be able to figure out if they're getting paid a commission or something by the person who's created the product in the first place and then finally <laughs> the last piece of this is is possibly just my my very very favorite piece so this new Department of Labor rule that is based off of the best interest clause that was or best interest rule by the SEC that was very specific that it was not a fiduciary standard the new Department of Labor rule deems brokers as being in compliance with the fiduciary requirements of rolling from a 401k to an IRA as long as they follow regulation best interest which specifically says it's not a fiduciary standard so DOL says if you do this we'll deem that you're acting as a fiduciary and therefore you're okay even though the standard you're following is not considered a fiduciary standard by the people who created it so I would have a lot of hang ringing right now except it isn't the law yet Department of Labor is just putting this out and very soon it will be in the Federal Register and it will be open for public comment as soon as that happens I'm going to include a link that you can find access to so that if you want to make a comment you can and if you think it's great you should comment that I will never tell you how to respond but I will make it as easy as I can for you to let you respond and it will take months and months for this to finally become formalized 
There is an election in less than six months. So all of this might be a moot point, but it's very important that you stay informed and stay on top of it just in case it's not. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's segment is a cautionary tale when making charitable deductions. Recently, there was an organization that had a name very similar to a nationally known organization, but the organization that was actually the charity wasn't affiliated with the bigger group. The names were just unintentionally very similar. And what ended up happening was many people trying to donate to a cause were using third-party apps to be able to make donations to this charity. The way it was caught was the third-party apps noticed that the group that people thought they were donating to wasn't actually the charity that they were donating to. And I don't know whether or not the other charity got any money, but I know the majority of the issue was caught before people were donating to something and they weren't aware of what was going on. Now, since that's happened, the charity that was set up to receive donations has closed. I don't know if they were told to change their name. That wasn't part of the story. But what is very important to you, if you're looking to make a charitable donation, you need to do some research and make sure the group you're giving to is the group you think you're giving to. Because this is also a fairly common scam. Scammers will create charities that sound a lot like a popular cause and people will donate money to it. Now, like I said, in this case, that isn't what happened because the charity existed first. But still, there's a lot of bad actors out there who want to exploit situations and they're counting on the fact that you're not going to do any research. So, especially because right now on social media, it's very common for people to say, in lieu of giving me a gift, I want you to donate to this charity. It's up to you before you ask people to donate to the charity to make sure it's legit. And before you do any donations of your own, you need to make sure it's legit. So the first thing you want to do is go to the actual website of the charity. The charity will have a website and then there should be a link there that will give you the opportunity to give. Additionally, you need to make sure that the charity is actually listed with the IRS as a charity. Now, this can have some issues that aren't super obvious at first. For instance, not all charities are required to register with the IRS. So just because you don't find them on the list doesn't mean it's not real. It does mean that you need to do some additional work to make sure that the charity is legitimate. You might want to check the charity's ratings. 
how are they rated by third-party agencies making sure that they're really being good stewards of your money? Are they giving most of the money to the charity or is a lot of the money going into overhead? Because sometimes people create charities because it can be very advantageous to the person who creates it. You want to be sure that most of the money that you're donating is going to the cause rather than going to somebody's payroll. Remember, when you're dealing with an intermediary and you're giving the donation to them, you don't have direct control of how the money is being used. So for example, a lot of community foundations, you can make a donation and you can request that they use the donation in a certain way. But because of legal reasons that I just don't want to get into on this show, they aren't actually obligated to do it. Now, that doesn't mean they don't do it. It's just very important for you to research the charity, maybe call them, make sure they're a 501c3. If they're not a 501c3, you need to figure out why they aren't. Are they in good standing with the state? Are they in good standing with the IRS? Are they using the money the way you want it used? That's going to keep you from getting in the middle of something that seemed like a good idea when you thought about it at first, but at the end of the day, the money isn't going where you thought it was. That's especially important right now for two reasons. Number one, because so many people are suffering. There's a lot of great organizations that have been created or already existed to help people in certain fields, and you may want to donate to them. And that's fine, but they may not be a charity you've heard of, so you need to be very careful with it. Additionally, this year, because of the CARES Act, the coronavirus legislation passed by Congress, you have the ability to have a more advantageous donation uh, structure. It was, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, fairly easy to deduct charitable donations. Then the standard deduction became very large, and there was a lot of people who just weren't donating enough to get greater than the standard deduction. Well, the CARES Act has reinstated a single $300 or married filing jointly $600 above the line donation allowance, which means that you can deduct $300 if you're single or $600 if you're married and take the standard deduction on top of that. So you don't have to itemize these deductions in order to take that much. Additionally, you're allowed to donate more of your adjusted gross income after the CARES Act. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act raised the amount of your AGI that you could donate to 60% from the 50% it had been. The CARES Act raises the individual deduction amount to 100%. That means you can donate 100% of your AGI and you're not limited to the 60% limit. Corporations can now take a 25% deduction rather than a 10% deduction. 
So this was all designed to help the charities that need the help, but if you're going to give that much money, it's really important that you know who you're giving it to. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's question has to do with IRA deductibility. Remember that this year the tax deadlines are very different from usual. So the deadline to file your taxes that was the April 15th deadline has moved to July 15th. And since this is early July, that means you're about to run out of time. In addition to moving the April tax filing deadline to July, they also moved the IRA contribution deadline to July. Remember, when you want to make an IRA contribution, you must make it by the time the taxes are originally due, not at the time of the extensions. So if you haven't yet funded your IRA for 2019, you've got about a week to get it done. So you should probably try to get that complete. So this week's question was, Peggy, I contribute to my retirement plan at work but my employer doesn't, do the income limits still apply to me as to whether or not my IRA is deductible? And the answer is they do. So if you have a retirement plan at work and money goes into that plan on your behalf, whether that's from you or your employer, then in order to deduct the traditional IRA contribution, you must come under the income phase-out. And the phase-out's complicated, but basically, if you're single and you earn over $65,000, you're getting into the phase-out. And if you're married filing jointly and you earn over $104,000, you're getting into the phase-out. So you probably want to talk to your tax preparer to see what will work best for you. But those are some of the rough numbers. So yes, even if your employer doesn't provide any funding for the retirement plan, if you're putting money into the plan, then those income phase-outs apply to you. Now, if you have a retirement plan and there's no money going into that plan on your behalf, either through employers putting in money or you putting in money, or when an employee quits, sometimes unvested contributions get split among the employees. So it's really important that you pay attention as to whether or not there's money going into the account on your behalf. If there's not, then you can deduct the IRA even if your company has a plan. However, the ability to deduct an IRA is no reason not to contribute to your company's retirement plan, especially if the employer is offering a match. Even if they're not, the amount you can defer into a company retirement plan is so much higher than an IRA contribution limit that it makes sense to take advantage of that pre-tax savings vehicle if it's available to you. Just be very careful that you don't try to deduct it if you're not eligible. 
In addition to that, Roth IRAs also have income phase-outs, and if you earn more money than that, you simply can't put money into the Roth at all. There is no such thing as a deductible Roth. Remember, Roths are funded in after-tax dollars, and then the growth is income tax-free if you follow all of the rules. So if you earn too much money, you just can't fund the Roth. So check all of those numbers before you try to make a contribution because it's going to be much easier for you if you get it right than if you try to have to fix it because it's very tricky to fix these things with some of the changes to the tax code. So if you haven't started your taxes yet, if all of the coronavirus and sheltering in place has caused you really to ignore it, you've got to pay attention. Your deadlines are coming up. You need to take care of it now or file for an extension. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.